I just love it when people are passionate about reaching other people for Christ. You know, this morning we're in our, our study on the practice of genuine religion. We're going to be in uh, Romans chapter 14. And if you have your Bible and would turn there, we'll camp out there for a little bit on just a few verses, probably 7 through 12. You know, there is, there's a sense in which no man is an island unto themselves, that we're all connected and that we all have a responsibility uh, for our fellow man, that we have that responsibility for one another. But really, that's not what Paul is talking about in our passage today. His thought is that neither in life nor in death <laughs> do we escape the fact that what... What we do and who we are, what we do and who we are, are before Almighty God. So everything that we do is before God, in front of God. And, and the questions that were being agitated, if you will, in Rome at the time that this letter was written, was some of the believers uh, were, were asking the question if the Christian Sabbath should be served. Uh, Observed on the first day of the week or the seventh day of the week, and they were they were they were talking about that and trying to figure that out. And and another thing they were discussing was uh, the the direct use of food, uh, especially food and meat that was offered to idols. If it was okay to partake in that, should they follow the book of Leviticus or or uh, more the common use? And what Paul insists in his letter is that these are not questions that either affect our personal salvation or our acceptance by God. These are not questions of salvation. They're not questions of whether or not we are accepted by God. They are questions of preference. They are, are questions that, that we need to look at. They are matters for individual Christians to settle and decide for themselves. I mean, some matters are very very clearly expressed in God's word. And there's no controversy over those. But there are other questions that we have that we must apply guiding principles to. Things that we read about in scripture that we need to kind of uh, put them under, under that light and, 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 and guide our, our, our decisions based on those principles. I mean, we ask the question, what would Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, my Master... What would he have me do? I mean, that's a, that's a fair question. When you come up against a, something that you don't know for sure in Scripture what it says, what would my master have me do? What would the Lord have me do? I mean, I'm his servant, and he'll let me know his will by teaching my spirit through his Holy Spirit in my heart. He will guide me in that if I will follow him. Secondly, we ask the question, what's best for others? I mean, I have an influence over some and perhaps more uh, look, look to me for guidance than I know. But I have to be on my guard that I don't put a stumbling block out in front of my brother or sister in Christ. I have to be aware of that. I have to, I have to look at that, you know. I mean, though some things may be innocent for me, what if they destroy directly or indirectly, a brother in Christ's walk with the Lord. I've got to be conscious of that. It's probably better if I abstain from doing them. 
And then I have to ask the question, what is best for myself? I mean, I ask God not to lead me into temptation, but I certainly must not put myself into it either. <laughs> I mean, a lot of times we do that. And, and um, you know, I, I have to put aside all the weights so that I can run unencumbered, so that, so that I can serve the one uh, who died for me. And I, I love that because he is going forth conquering evil and he asks us to partner with him in that. And, um, you know, the truth is that we as Christians cannot live our life apart from Christ. <laughs> Some people think that they can. That they made a commitment to Christ but then they, they can just go their own way. But you see, our Christian conduct is not gauged by the foods that are spread on the table but rather it is our lives that are spread out before God. That's what the important thing is. Is, is, is. It's not what you eat, it's not what goes in that defiles the person, it's what comes out. It's the motive of our hearts. It's where we're at on the inside. That's the important thing. And, you know, one day I'm going to have to give an account, each one of us will, for the things that we've done in this life. And we don't like to think about that. Because we know that we are sinful creatures. We know that we are sinful beings. But we must all learn to cooperate with those things that are inevitable. Some factors in life are a given. Some decisions are made for us and no one asks us about them. They're acts of God. They're things that God has preordained. They are things that God has done. I want to look at a few of those today. The first one is this, is that your birth is an inevitable decision. Think about this. Inevitable, what I mean by that, it's unavoidable, it's certain, it's inescapable. For instance, you did not choose who your parents are. You were born into this world. You had no choice in that. You were brought into this world. You had no choice about who your parents are. You had no choice about your ethnicity. You had no choice about your gender. I know this is a big deal in our country, in our society. But you don't have any choice. You were born this way or this way. He created them male and female. He created them male and female. You were created and made by God the way you are. You didn't have a choice in it. He didn't say, check what you prefer. You were made the way you are by God. I mean, in Jeremiah 13, it says, can an can a Ethiopian... Change his skin color? Can a leopard change its spots? No. It was ordained by God. Nicodemus asks in John 3, he says, Can a man when he is old be born again? Jesus said, You must be born again. And he's like, How can that be? How could that happen? Jesus said in, in, in Matthew 6, Six, he said, how many of you can add one more hour to your life because of your worry? 
See, there's things that are inevitable. There are decisions that are made. There are some things, once they are done, cannot be undone. Follow me now. It is impossible to unscramble an egg. Once you whip it up, you cannot unscramble it. You're getting scrambled eggs at that point. You know, the nursery rhyme, it even, you know, all the king's men and all the king's horses couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. It's a truth. There are some things, when they are, once they are done, they cannot be undone. And, and I, I think we need to understand that. We need to hear that. That we are the way we are because God created us that way. Okay? But we also are chosen, you are chosen, to live responsibly. I think this is important. When I say chosen, I mean you were intended, you were designed to live responsibly. Each of us is ordained to live responsibly. I mean, there are exceptions to be sure. And what I mean by that is we don't expect someone, um, we don't expect God to hold someone who is mentally challenged, if you will, to, to responsible for a capacity they may or may not have. Same as with a child, we, we do not hold children, and God, we, we believe that God will, will not hold children responsible for an understanding that they do not have. But it's fair to accept that if you are listening to this message with understanding that you are responsible. I mean, there's no way to avoid responsibility. But oh, how our society away from God wants to avoid responsibility at all cost. We want to kick that can down the road as far as we can so somebody else will have to take care of it. But you know what? I'm telling you this morning that you are chosen to live responsibly. I mean, some people try to escape it. Tragically, they may try to escape it through suicide. Other people, they may try to escape by indifference. You remember the parable that Jesus told, the parable of the talents. And one man tried to do that by indifference. Basically, his master told him to take this and take care of it, be a good steward of it, be a, 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 you know, a, a trustee of what I've given you. And... Um, he did nothing. The one servant hid his master's money safely in the ground. And he failed to do with it what his master wanted him to do with it. And at the accounting, the, the master called him a wicked and lazy servant. Listen. Doing nothing with what we have been given... Is sin. Doing nothing with what we've been given is sin. Folks, we gotta do it. We gotta, we gotta get with it. See, trying to escape the responsibility of life by indifference, by playing it safe, is wicked. We can't do that. We've got to step it up. 
We've got to do what our master is asking us to do. Look in Romans chapter 14, verse 7 and following, if you will. I just want to camp out here for a little bit. And um, we're going to read a couple of verses and then we'll come back to it. Uh, Verse 7 says, For not one of us, for not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. Or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Whether we live or whether we die, we belong to the Lord. See, I would say this, that you are designed to live in a relationship. To live in relationship with God, with others, and with yourself. You are designed to live in relationship. A.W. Pink, in Practical Christianity, he alludes to each believer's personal responsibility. And I want to read this quote out of, out of his book. It says, Religion is an intensely personal thing which cannot be transacted by proxy. It consists of immediate dealings between the individual soul and its maker. No one can repent for me. No one can believe for me. No one can love God for me or render obedience to his precepts on my behalf. Those are personal acts which God holds us responsible for to perform. And neither ignorance nor error is merely a misfortune, but something highly culpable since the truth is available in our mother tongue. Since we hear it and we can comprehend it, we are responsible for it. And I want you to listen to what I have to say. Because everyone, not just believers, not just some people, everyone has a relationship to God. I didn't say with God, I said to God. Everyone has a relationship to God. Even the atheist has a relationship to God. And what I mean is this. God created us. He created all of us. Whether they believe it or not, He created us. He placed us in a world that He created And he gave us a spiritual nature like his own. Every person that walks this earth has a spiritual nature like his own. We are made in God's image. So we have a relationship to God. We are people with power to think. Power to will. Power to act and do. He has given that to us. He gave us the knowledge of right and wrong. And he gave us a conscience to tell us we ought to do right. He even revealed himself in nature. I mean, if we look over in Romans chapter 1, verse 18 and following, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because... 
that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Everyone has a relationship to God. Over in Romans 2, it talks about in, in, in human nature, uh, verse 4, 14, it says, For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are a law to themselves, in that they show the work of the law written on their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them on the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. He has made himself evident in nature and he has made himself evident in human nature. Therefore, we are without excuse. In his final and complete revelation, God revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. In John 14... Uh, excuse me, John 1, 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw His glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. In Jesus Christ, God revealed Himself. He is the full and final revelation. You remember in Hebrews chapter 1, it says this. It says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets and in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. And upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus Christ is God. He is the exact representation of God in the flesh. He is God. And every one, every person has a relationship to God. See, God the Holy Spirit invites us, every person, to to salvation and warns us against rejecting the grace, the grace of Almighty God. Oh, it was His grace, amazing grace, that nailed Him to that cross for your sin and mine. See, a person's relationship with God may be good or it may be bad, but no one can live other than in relationship to God. Because we recognize there is a day coming. There is a day coming, as Scripture tells us, when we will give an account for everything we've done in this body, in this flesh, on this earth. That day is coming. See, everyone also has a relationship with other people. I mean, there's no way a person can live without influencing or being influenced by other people, by those around us. I mean, Matthew 5, 16 says, let your light shine before men in such a way <laughs> that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. 
The idea is, is that we, we work and we serve and we let our light shine so that others will give God the glory. We have that influence. And see, what I'm telling you this morning is that your influence may be good or it may be bad, but you will have an influence. See, it's inevitable that you will have relationships with other people. Other people, will, you will come in contact with, with them. And, and, you know, John Piper, he points out that Paul in this passage is not just offering some insight into clearing up some relational speed bumps. Okay? He's not interested in just, just taking those speed bumps out. What he is doing, Paul instead, is elevating things immensely by tying our care for fellow Christians to some of the weightiest truths about Christ. That we must fall under his lordship. Under the lordship of Jesus Christ. That he is our master. Listen. Since Jesus Christ died for the believer that you're judging. Hang on. And he rose again for the one whom you are despising and ignoring. And he is Lord of all of those who are dead and alive. Then as we focus on Jesus, we should stop our judging of brothers and sisters. In other words, in light of what really matters, we should let the little matters go. I mean, we've got to stop judging those who sin differently than we do. I mean, the, the scripture calls it sin. We know that it's called sin. But if they don't sin like us, if they sin differently than we do, then we begin to judge them. And we say, they shouldn't be doing that. Well, why are they acting that way? We understand that we are all sinners saved by the grace of God. But you know what the world is waiting to see? They are waiting to see unity in the body of Christ. Why would I want to join in with what they're doing when they can't even get along? It reminds me of my family back home. And we are the family of God. Oh, oh, how easy it comes to us. Let's be reminded that Jesus said in John chapter 8, If there is anyone here who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. Understand, there were no stones thrown that day. No, they all ended up on the ground. Because everyone was convicted in their heart. Oh, but they sure fly these days, don't they? We are so quick to judge with our words. And trust me, I'm not just talking about verbal. I'm also talking about what is posted on media. When you type a rant on the computer, those are your words coming out of your mouth. The evil is sickening. The words that we put, the things that we post as believers is sickening. You would be better to say nothing. My mom used to tell me, Ridge, 
It's better to be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Oh, we need some of that advice today. You know, it was F.B. Meyer who once said that when we see a brother or sister in sin, there are two things that we do not know. First, we don't know how hard he or she tried not to sin. And second, we don't know the power of the forces that assailed them and came upon them to cause them to buckle. We don't know what we would have done in those circumstances. We don't put ourselves in their shoes. What we do is we make a judgment call and say they shouldn't be doing that. And we know they shouldn't be doing that, but we begin to judge them. Rather than saying, I don't know where they're at. I don't know what they've been up against. I don't know the pressure in their life. I don't know how desperate they are. And I don't know how strong the enemy attacked them. Most of us, we probably give in pretty easy because we don't have any grit. We don't have any metal in us. We don't have any steel built into our soul because we've not been feasting on the Word of God. We've been living off the popcorn of the internet or our phones. And we need to dig into the meat of God's Word. And when we dig into the meat of God's word, what happens is we, we nourish our spirit and, and our, our spirit begins to build muscle. And we begin to have that, that, that backbone that we need to stand firm. We put on the armor of God and we're able to stand firm in that day when we are assailed and attacked by the enemy. He says, put on the armor of God so that you may stand firm. He's going to fight the battle, but you have to stand firm. And that's our problem. We don't do that. And we need to. I mean, you know, talking about all of this, not everything that you hear is true. Not everything that you hear is true on the internet. Not everything that someone tells you is true. And it's important that we let God sort it out. You know, the wise teacher, she sent a note home to all her parents on the first day of school. She said, if you promise not to believe everything your child says happens at school, I'll promise not to believe everything your child says happens at home. (laughs) Pretty good, isn't it? You know, but, but we sure like to get up into other people's business, don't we? We rather enjoy that. This reading called Judge Not may be helpful. It goes like this. I was shocked, confused, as I entered heaven's door. Not by the beauty of it all, by the light or its decor. But it was the folks in heaven who made me sputter and gasp. The thieves, the liars, the sinners, the alcoholics, the trash. There stood the kid from seventh grade who swiped my lunch money twice. Next to him was my old neighbor who never said anything nice. Herb, who I always thought was rotting away in hell was sitting pretty on cloud nine, 
looking incredibly well. I nudge Jesus, hey, what's the deal? I'd love to hear your take. How did all these sinners get up here? God must have made a mistake. And why is everyone so quiet? So somber? Just give me a clue. Hush, my child, he said. They're all in shock. No one thought they'd be seeing you. You We all live, whether we live or whether we die, we live unto the Lord. Moving on, look at verse 9. Verse 9 says this. It says, For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. We have a responsibility in our relationships. I mean, you think about this. In all of Scripture, there is no greater call for higher living and holy living and for submission to the sovereign grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That unconditional lordship of him. Just complete surrender before Lord, before our Lord. Because he says, for to this end, Christ died and lived again. So that we would be responsible... Not only to God, but also to each other. He died for us for that. You see, righteousness, which is what only God can produce in us. Righteousness is a relationship word. It's about the relationship. It's housed in the love that the Holy Spirit of God produces. That qualifies it. I mean, one day we're all going to be held accountable for what we've done in our relationships. Folks, this is a tough message. And I don't mean to be putting words in God's mouth, but I believe this is what God is saying. He's saying, you better pay attention to what I'm saying. I gave my life for the people that you are shunning, that you are scorning, that you are judging, that you are tearing down to make yourself look good. And one day you're going to stand before me and you're going to answer for your behavior. We're all going to give an account. That's what he's saying. And it's not an easy message. Because I find it convicting. And every one of us who claim Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord ought to find it convicting. See, every one of us has a relationship to ourself. I mean, the second commandment says you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the assumption there is is that people will love themselves. That we love ourselves, and many times we love ourselves better than we love our neighbor. And he says, you should love your neighbor as yourself. And whether we love our neighbor, whether we love or hate ourselves, our choices concerning uh, the people around us and and concerning ourselves is something that is inevitable. The consequences of our choices are inevitable. We will have to give an account for the choices we've made on this earth. I mean, people may be... Good or bad stewards. They may be good or bad guardians or keepers of their lives. And you know what? I'm going to be accountable for my life. And you're going to be accountable for yours. 
I can't change that, and neither can you. We will appear before Christ in judgment. Hebrews 9, 27 says, It is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. 2 Corinthians 5, 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Look at verse 10 in our passage, Romans 14. It says, But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. Verse 12, so then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. I don't know about you, but that literally puts the fear of God in me. I fear a holy God. I fear a just God. In the, in, in the way that I live out my faith. I mean, notice the seriousness of the judgment. The account on that day is not to Brother Ridge. It's not to the church. It's not to the deacon body. It's to God. We will give an account of ourselves to God. I mean, you, you see the seriousness of that judgment, but you also see... How universal it is. The universality of the judgment. Each one of us. That doesn't mean some people are just going to be looked over. Some, some people are, he's going to turn his head the other way. No. Each one of us will have to be responsible for that. Because all people will be gathered before him. All who have ever lived and, and will be present without exception. If he is a holy God, if he is righteous, if he is true, then all of this is going to happen as he says it is. And we know, deep down in our heart of hearts, we know this is true. He says the individuality of the judgment, the account will be of himself. I mean, the the person who starts confessing the sins of the hypocrite, Or the person who begins to blame others for what happened in their life is going to be silenced. Because we will give an account of ourselves, the deeds done in the body. But notice the fairness of the judgment. You see, the judge is a just God. God in Christ is the judge. He will judge righteously. And I would say that that I believe that he will not... He will not hold anyone responsible for what he or she could not prevent. If you've been, if you have understanding, if you uh, uh, comprehend, then you are responsible for it. But folks, we recognize that and we know that and we run from that. Romans 5.13 says, sin is not imputed where there is no law. (laughs) God's not going to condemn me for Adam's sin. And he's not going to condemn me for your sin. But I will stand responsible for my sin. But you see, the judge knows all the facts. 
He's not going to need to summon witnesses. He's not going to need to to cross-examine. He knows all of those things. In Hebrews 4.13, it tells us, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And then Galatians 6.7 says this, it says, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. See, the rewards and the greatness will be on the basis of faithful service rendered while we're here on earth. Doing what we're supposed to do here. And when we serve God on earth, we do that when we use our talents and our possessions to help others. Loving our neighbor as ourself. See, I, I want to use a word that kind of has a bad connotation. When we think of the word sentence, we think of a prisoner being sentenced, punished, if you will. I'm not viewing that word as punishment. But think about it this way. You were sentenced to be born. You were predestined. You were ordained by God to be born. You were sentenced to live responsibly. These are, the, these are the boundaries that God puts upon us. We are sentenced to die. Every one of us has that appointment at some point. And you will be sentenced on that day to live eternally in heaven or eternally in hell. This is inevitable. It's going to happen. It's true. Why not give purpose to your life now? Why, ta- why not take the dread and the fear out of death and the judgment? Why not submit now? He says, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why not do that now? Here, while you have opportunity. Is your name written down in the Lamb's book of life? Is your heart right with God? I'm not here going through the motions. I'm not here preparing for next week because I don't know if you're going to be here and I don't know if I'm going to be here. Because we live in an uncertain time. But we have today, we have this moment, this hour to get it right with God. Folks, that's what I'm saying. We're going to give an account and we need to be able to claim Jesus as our Lord and Savior so that we are not condemned, so that we go to the judgment seat of Christ and not the great white throne. Because on that day, He will be the judge. And He will say, you confessed me before men on earth, so now I'm going to confess you before my Father who is in heaven. Let Him in, Father. Let Him in. He's one of mine. Ridge, how are you doing? Good to see you. Well done, good and faithful servant. Folks, that's what he needs to say for each one of us. 
But we must submit under his lordship while we have opportunity. Let's pray together.